Hello, Hooray for Monday listeners. I'm Michelle Welk, a marketing and communication specialist with Inspired Teaching. Today's Hooray for Monday episode features a recent conversation between Aletta and Travian Shorters, a social entrepreneur and expert on asset framing. Hello, Aletta. Hello, Michelle. I am so excited to get to your conversation with Trabian, but first want to provide a bit of context for any listeners who may need it. Starting last Tuesday, Inspired Teaching held the first of a series of three live conversations streamed on our Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube pages on school connectedness. We've talked a lot about school connectedness over the last several months, but as a brief explainer, It's a concept put forth by the CDC following a report on youth risk behaviors, which identifies the important role school communities have in contributing a sense of belonging and acceptance for children. School connectedness was specifically highlighted as a critical component for addressing some of the negative outcomes in the report, a summary of which you can find linked in our show notes. That's right. And school connectedness is of great interest and importance to inspire teaching because addressing the foundational needs of our students in order to help them thrive has been our focus long before the CDC report came out in early 2023. But the report did help to reinforce what we have known to be true and provide a sense of urgency in bringing it to the forefront for the public at large. The live stream series, Conversations on Connection is part of our ongoing effort to offer teachers and school leaders, parents, and any other invested adults tools to build school connectedness in their own school communities. And that brings us to Trabian. As mentioned, he's the first of our expert guests, and I think he set a high bar. Trabian's a well-known expert on the concept of asset framing, which we explain in detail in our conversation, and he was full of insightful advice for bringing asset framing into classrooms. As teachers, we know how difficult it can sometimes be to translate lofty ideals into meaningful action, but Trabian offered very practical strategies for doing just that. As an observer, I came away feeling that asset framing is monumentally important, but also straightforward, practical, and most importantly, possible. It's true. At Inspired Teaching, we create all of our tools, activities, and strategies so that they answer the very real needs teachers have in reaching goals and addressing standards, while also authentically engaging and teaching the whole student. As explained by Trabian, asset framing does just that. He specifically gives us a technique of four questions to ask ourselves when practicing asset framing that I think will be enormously helpful as we get to know new students this fall. Wonderful. Without further ado, let's get to your conversation. I'm Aletta Margolis, and this is Hooray for Monday, your inspiration and toolkit for the week ahead. Prime the brain. Hooray for Monday, August 21st. 2023. Welcome, Travian. Hey, my pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot. Travian, I've known you for years. We are both Ashoka Fellows um, and we've known each other for a long time, but I was really inspired to write about asset framing in Hooray for Monday, Inspired Teachings weekly blog and podcast, and a free resources for tips and tools to support excellent teaching. After hearing an interview with you on this topic, I was so inspired by your words on defining people by their aspirations and contributions rather than their challenges. And this is so important, especially for young people, especially at a time when 
we, we who lead schools and teach in schools are very focused understandably on making sure that our students don't fall behind in reading, or if they have fallen behind that we help them catch up in reading and math and social skills, we can get very focused on the deficits on what 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 our students are lacking. And um, asset framing can either not be on our radars, or seem like well, we don't have time for that. We got it. We got to plug the holes. So, right. so we want to hear from you for, for the teachers and school leaders and district leaders who are listening today. How, how can asset framing help us even when we feel like we don't have time for that? We've just, we're, we're in crisis. We got to help these kids make up for lost time. Sure. So thanks for that lead in. Um, first of all, you know, I teach asset framing to heads of major foundations, corporations, associations. Uh, around the world. And the reason why I think uh, there's so much attraction to it is that it, asset framing is not about any particular moral stance. It's not about how to be kinder or nicer <laughs> or any of those things that are just driven by the goodness of your nature. Asset framing is rooted in cognitive science. So what we discovered was, I did discover it, Daniel Kahneman and other uh, Nobel laureates who work in cognitive science. What they discovered was human beings cannot be data-driven. It's not, it's something we are literally incapable of. What we are is narrative driven. Our mental models tell us which data to pay attention to, right? Which information matters and which information doesn't. So if you understand that in reality, we only measure the data that our mental model tells us matters, then we're not data driven, we are narrative driven. The, the, the narrative matters more than the facts because the narrative tells you which facts to pay attention to. So if you understand that, then the question of which narratives are we operating out of, what, what are our mental models, right, becomes hugely important because we literally see what we look for. Human beings literally see what we look for. So asset framing is about the cognitive science of our social behaviors, right? Now, if we understand that, then what we realized is when your associations, when the, the narratives that are most easily accessible by your mind are primarily negative ones, then you innately treat whoever's at the center of that narrative as threatening. It is not a decision. It is not a choice. It is a physiological response <laughs> to something where the threat value or the negative value or the potential problem value is easy for your brain to recall. When that happens, your body says, oh, what can I do to avoid this threat? What can I do to reduce this threat? What can I do to eliminate this threat? We, we call it a boy control kill. And this shows up in all kinds of issues you know, across, up across human beings. But when you think about how we relate to our children, if what we know about our children, if we prime our mind, right, the first thing that comes to our mind is something about a gap, a deficit, a failing, a lack, a need, a, you know, an, uh, an inability, if those are the first things that come to our mind, we don't code that child as familiar, as one of us. We code that child as potential problem or current problem. And so we must first address their problematic nature before we can make them one of us, which means our relationship to them is actually about, it's, it's the same relationship you have when you discover a spider crawling on your, on your floor or, you know, um, that's actually the, the initial shock is, oh, spider, we got to do something about the spider, right? And so you can avoid the spider, you can control the spider, you can kill the spider, right? But you have to address the spider first before you can think about anything else. And so what, what the science shows us is when you relate to people that way, you get a certain level of response when you relate to them first by their aspiration, their contribution, these things that remind you innately that they are a human being, that they are one of the bus, they're familiar, then you see different opportunities, you see, you see different options, right? And so 
I think the reason so many social impact firms and major foundations and you know these, these international associations, the reason why they're trying to figure out how to center asset framing in their work is not out, is not out, is not out of any sense of like <laughs> moral justice. It's more because they recognize it helps them make better decisions. Like our, our clients raise more money than folks who don't know how to asset frame. Mm. Uh, the folks who are working in social impact work, they change uh, bigger laws. Uh, one of our, our members changed the Florida constitution using a campaign that is asset frame, right? Um, they identify different policy uh, platforms and initiatives that can be enacted that actually build more than fix. And so it's actually, it's a, it's a more effective way of engaging, raising money, having social impact, persuading the public, but we haven't been taught how to do it. No, so so I want to think about this. I can imagine some of our, our our listeners, particularly classroom teachers, are thinking, so you're not saying I ignore the fact that perhaps not a child is two years behind grade level in reading. I I do acknowledge that, right. but that's not my starting point. Is that right. is that what that so, that's, so yeah, that, that's, that's how perfect. do I how do I navigate that as a teacher? I have, still have to address the reading deficit. That's right. In fact, but okay, I'm not doing that solely. Yeah, so let's do this quickly. So asset framing says. Again, we're mental model driven. So if all you know about, or what you primarily know about a person is negative, then your primary response to them is negative. It has nothing to do with choice. It happens fast. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It's just the way the brain works. Like literally, in fact, what I teach in the course is, you know, um, our, um, your, your brain and your central nervous system, they connect right here, right at the brain stem, <laughs> okay? So it's one system. It's not two separate systems. The way our brain works is the same way our central nervous system. Like this is all, your central nervous is always on, it's always firing, it's always connecting, right? It's always, it's always picking up sensations. And there's a part of your brain that is always synthesizing those, those sensations into perspectives. That's always going on. It's faster than thought. The reason that we say we have a gut reaction is because our brain and our bodies are connected, <laughs> right? And so the point being, when you encounter something that scares you, you don't have to think about it scaring you. It happens like that instantly, right? And the, the degree of threat, you know, determines whether it shows up on your face or not. But the point is, if we're priming people with essentially fear triggers, then we're going to have essentially fear reactions to them. That's just, it has nothing to do. You don't get a chance to think your way out of that one. That's autonomic, okay? So anyway, I, I lost track of your question, but the point I'm trying to land is, um, uh, what we try to help people understand is giving your brain fuller narratives gives your gives it a chance to respond better and when you prime when you start with uh, affirming narratives then your brain is primed to see them as valuable whereas so when I, you start when you start with deficit narratives your brain is primed to see them as a problem so it sounds like if i'm the teacher of of fourth grade students when i when i begin the year i'm going to see those those young people's reading scores and math scores yes. and that's okay but it, right. and it may that's not right. be what I would hope them to be. But in that that's case, right. it sounds, and, and so often in schools, we, we operate from a place of urgency, but I would yes. argue it can slip into panic, which yes. is not where most of us do our best work as you're describing. So if I start from a place of urgency slash panic, it's day one, Trabian, you're behind in reading. We're gonna get your reading scores up. Right. I've missed the opportunity to get to know you as a full person. I've right. the opportunity to teach my brain to see you as, frankly, an asset rather than a deficit. And yeah. I'm not going to be as effective at, at teaching you how to read or do math or anything else. 
yeah. if I so haven't way, done that asset that, framing that, first. That's right. And where, where I would connect the dots on what you're saying is um, even more importantly than seeing uh, the child as an asset, what you want to trigger for the brain body is that the child is one of us, mm. right? Um, a familiar, it's part of the, you know, he or she is part of the tribe. They are part of the tribe. Um, so if you can trigger for your mind that they are one of us, then you will treat them as one of us instead of as a potential problem, right? And what you'll notice, you know, Mary Wright Edelman used to point out that um, in, in the various organizations connected to the Children's Defense Fund, she could always tell the orientation of the group by whether their, their um, written materials talked about the children's needs and whether it talked about our children's needs, <laughs> right? Um, and so the point being, what you really wanna do in terms of uh, wiring your body to have the right set of responses is to define them by their aspirations and contributions because that's what helps you to see them as one of, one of us. Right. I love that. And when we work with teachers at Inspired Teaching, we talk about thinking about our students as partners in learning rather than adversaries. And while that sounds ridiculous, in, in, in fact, it often happens in school, especially around social emotional learning and discipline. You know, I make the rules and I know you're going to try to break them. You're going to yeah. try to get past me and I'm going to try to stop you. And one of the things that we say to teachers is, A, if it's you against 30 teenagers, you will not win, first of all, yeah, just on a practical right. level or 30, 35 year olds or anybody. And right. second of all, wh why would we want to go to school in a place where, where we feel we're spending the day with our adversaries? Yeah. We, want, we want to be partners and we all want the same thing. We all want our children to learn and we want them to thrive. So seeing our children as, 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 as us, not them, I think is so valuable and, and so important. Um, and, and that's, that's yeah, a beautiful sorry, way to start. Yeah. yeah, I know our time is short. That's why I'm rushing a little bit. But let me let me share something else I think is hugely important, which is um, you had mentioned earlier, we don't want to ignore low reading scores. We don't, we don't want to ignore the challenges that, that the students face. We don't want to ignore uh, all the difficulties, difficulties that might go into teaching them. But the big thing is um, not to ignore those characteristics, but not to define people by those characteristics. Like, it, yes, they, yes, they can have all these challenges, but is that what defines who they are? Is that what motivates them? Is that what gets them up in the morning? Is that what they care about? Because if it's not, then you're relating to them by something that actually is hurtful, fearful, challenging, et cetera. And what you're really trying to do is get them to realize their aspirations. If you know what their aspirations are, just like you pointed out, if you know what they're curious about, if you know what they wanna know about, if you know, what, if you know those things, you can help them get those things that they really value. But if you don't bother to assess those things, if all you know are the negatives, then you can't engage them at who they really are, right? And so uh, a, a simple data point around that, because you know, we work with a lot of different shops <laughs> and we point out, remember how I said your narrative tells you which facts to pay attention to? Yeah. Um, I've worked with a lot of educators and I'll ask them, you know, um, have, you, you know have you heard the narrative that uh, in some of our cities, the black and Latino students are dropping out of alarming races, the, the dropout factories narrative. Have you heard, you know, of course everybody's heard that. If you heard the poverty numbers, of course everybody's heard that. And then I just go to the other side of the equation. Okay, for those of you who are familiar with the dropout rates, uh, how familiar are you with the data on how many black and Hispanic kids are in college, right? Have their degrees? Like, is that data readily available to your mind, right? Those of you familiar with the dropout rate or the poverty rates, how many, you know, black and Latino millionaires are there, right? Like. Is that data available? Like, can, is your brain getting a whole picture of who's in front of you? Are you super dosed in what's wrong with them, but you can't really speak to what's right with them, right? If your brain doesn't know that, 
it can't be triggered by that, right? And similarly, you know, you get up in front of a classroom or, or you're leading a team of educators, uh, no one ever introduces you on day one by saying, next up is Aletta. Uh, she used to wet the bed as a child. Her mother was on welfare and she, you know, had a learning disability. Aletta, you know, take over the, nobody does that. <laughs> that, that's, that is not, that, that would take all your agency from day one, right? Even though, like, well, I should have given myself this example. I actually projected my characteristics to make the example. So my mother was on welfare. I went to bed as a child, right? But my point is, um, we don't do that for a reason. We don't, we don't stand before the room and try to engage you based on what's wrong for a reason, right? If you want people to value your thoughts and your input and your ideas, you actually start with why they should. And then, you know, you can mention all that other stuff secondarily, but that's... That's the brain science of it. Like that's how you engage people. And what you said that was so beautiful is if you want people to value your thoughts and your input and your ideas, and of course, for adults who've been named expert like you, right? We value your ideas and thought and input, but imagine, imagine if we valued the thoughts and ideas and input of our young people, of our children. And at Inspired Teaching, one of our core elements that we believe should be present in every classroom is student as expert, right? The goal, the, the student is the expert in their life, in their lived experience, in, and they are the emerging expert in everything that they're learning. And that kind of flips the dynamic on, the on, the, on its head. And we must, as adults, value the ideas and contributions of our young people if we place them in the role of emerging expert. So that's such a beautiful thing. So I'm, am I hearing you right? I'm hearing, I think, two things, really concrete takeaways for our teachers. One is um, ask our, our, our kids, what, are, what do you care about? What gets you out of bed? However we want to ask, formally or informally, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What's important to you? What do you, what do you, what do you aspire to? And what are you good at? What can you, what do you, what can you contribute? And then the other thing I'm hearing is be very deliberate in surrounding ourselves and educating ourselves with a variety of data points. Sure, look yeah. at the problems, right. but, right. but perhaps for every low reading score, look at something that, that, that's, right. that's gonna pull my brain in a different direction about particularly for black children or Latino children who tend, there tends to be so much data showing the struggles that they have make sure that I, the adult decision maker, have an equal share of data that, that helps me realize the potential and the, the brilliance of my students or of whatever group of people I'm working with. That's right. And I'd love to give your, your, your uh, viewers a specific technique. Um, Please. So because we're mental model driven, um, you're better served to construct your model before you encounter the trigger. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you know, all the folks who teach habit change, they point out like, you have to have a response to your habit trigger before you encounter the habit trigger. So it's the same thing, right? So because we're, we're narrative driven, there's four questions that you can ask yourself that will help you construct a more holistic mental model about whoever it is. And, you know, we, we're applying this to children, but this works in everything. Like I invite people to take the 100 day asset framing challenge, just practice asset framing stuff um, and, and give your heart a lift. But um, so, so the four um, questions that are, are great for giving your brain this cognitive skill. Number one, what do you love about whoever's at the center of the question? This can be people, this can be places, this can be the environment. Like I've done this in a lot of different ways, but literally identifying what is it that you deeply admire and love. And I know that sounds not scientific, but here, here's why you do that. You identify what you love because your intuition, you know, the, the, the autonomic system 
um, is immediate. And so once you trigger feelings of affection, you're more prone to actually see the positive aspects than if you've never bothered to create that, that uh, priming, right? So first prime yourself, like literally, what is your affect for whoever or whatever? And if you can identify something that you love, then you ask the next three questions. Then you ask, what are their aspirations? Like what gets them up in the morning? What, and, and again, having primed what you love, you will see more aspirations than if you hadn't done the first step. You'll see more positive things than if you hadn't done the first step, right? So one, um, you know, what do you really love, admire? Two, what are their aspirations? What are their contributions? And you want to find aspirations and contributions that are kind of tent poles, like things that really stick out, um, just because that'll help your brain recall them faster. Then uh, third question is, what is obstructing their aspirations? Their, you know, if they want to grow up and you know, contribute meaningfully, meaningfully to society, what is obstructing that? that you know, that's the third question. And then the fourth question is, what are you going to do to be an asset to them? What are you going to do to help them realize their aspirations? Like put yourself, rather than in the role of the hero and the guide, you know, the, the, the sort of leader, put yourself in the role of maybe the, you know, the resource, the asset. How are you going to be an asset to them and their aspiration? Once you figure those things out, it's a lot easier for your brain to pick on the right tools, the right methodologies, the right, you know, uh, uh, inspirations. But, but just those four steps make you better able to asset frame and guide and lead no matter what the question is, because this is a cognitive tool at the end of the day. That is, that is a beautiful tool. Thank you. And, and thank you for sharing it. And we'll share it um, with our listeners through, through many different, many different means. Are there, are there, and we'll share, of course, the, uh, your website, the BME community, are there other resources we should share with our, with our listeners so that they can um, yes. take advantage of asset framing with their students and with their, their school communities? Yeah, um, the, the easy thing I think of is there are a few people who practice this that you can you know, sort of look at their websites and how they go about it. Um, uh, Donors Choose, which is a great crowd crowdfunding platform for classroom projects. Um, they literally have an instructional guide for teachers who want to post their classroom projects in an asset framed way, right? So go check them out. Uh, groups like the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, their whole foundation strategy is based on asset framing. So if you go and look at how they approach their work, and by the way, that's an organization that for, I don't know how many years they, uh, they existed before doing this work, but for most of the foundation's life, they said their mission was to end poverty in Arkansas. Great mission, but a deficit-focused mission, right? If you look at them now, they talk about how to make an Arkansas where everyone can prosper. That's their mission now. And all the types of inputs that go along with that are more profound than what they were doing before, right? So it's just interesting, like, how your scope rises and what is possible dramatically increases. Um, but that's another example. And then, uh, you know, my site, tradingshorters.com um, is the training site. BMECommunity.org is the leadership community that, that does, that practices asset framing. Uh, so I welcome you to go to those. And then um, for those of you who are, you know, really want to challenge yourselves, go to assetframingpledge.org, um, which is a, it's a pledge site. Like, you know, I pledge to do certain things. I pledge to reject fear and stigma. And then we can put you in a, in a um, distribution list where you can get tools and information. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's, that's wonderful. And we'll, if you didn't hear that, everybody, we will, we will have that in, in written form for you as well. And we'll share those links with our listeners. Trabian, that's, that's fantastic. I think every teacher I've ever worked with, and I've had the pleasure of working with tens of thousands of teachers over the years, every teacher I've worked with wants the young people in their class to thrive. Yes. But so often as teachers, 
we are, the role we are placed in is, is the role of information provider or, you know, hole plugger. We're just supposed to plug the holes and, and, and fix the problems as best we can and pass them along to the next year. And the tools you have offered, both the, the philosophical mindset and the concrete tools are really going to help teachers shift their role so that they can be, I love the way you framed it, the, the asset. I can be the asset to help the young people in my care to overcome the obstacles to reach their aspirations and, and make their contributions. And that's such a vivid and joyful role. Not easy, but that's no, okay. teaching is not easy. It's incredibly no. challenging and no. as it should be, um, but it's a lovely role. I love that. I also love that you, you just asked that frame the teachers in your structure that you just did. In case you want, I, I won't spell Good. it out. If you play it back, you'll see that you define them by their aspiration to make sure children thrive. Pointed out what was blocking that aspiration. Right on. Join us Tuesday, August 22nd at 1230 p.m. Eastern for the second conversation on connection featuring guest Ann B. Friedman, founder and CEO of Planet Word Museum in Washington, D.C., We'll be streaming live on the Inspired Teaching Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn pages. Resources. We encourage you to follow Trabian and the BME community on social media, and I have included links to those handles in the written version and show notes. Trabian also mentioned additional organizations with valuable insights and resources for asset framing, including Donors Choose and the Asset Framing Pledge. You can find links to all in the written version and show notes for this episode. Professional learning. Join us this Tuesday evening online for the second August Inspired Teaching Institute on August 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern. In this month's institute, we'll focus on addressing our students' needs so that they are able to thrive as learners using the ABCDE of learner needs as our foundation. We will analyze positive and negative learning experiences in the context of learner needs, use student examples from our classrooms to explore the ways in which asset framing can offer insights into meeting needs, and practice using reflection tools designed to help students and teachers assess where their needs are and are not being met. All of our institutes are free and are designed to be applicable across the pre-K-12 school experience. Participants who attend the live sessions will receive certificates of completion. Recordings and resources will be emailed to all registrants, but we highly recommend joining us live so you can experience the activities firsthand, ask questions, and engage with other like-minded educators. Register at the link in our show notes. Youth Programming. Applications are now open for the 2023-2024 Real World History course. The only credit-bearing course available to all public, charter, and independent school students in Washington, D.C., real-world history teaches history through inquiry, equipping students with crucial skills that prepare them to thrive in our complex 21st century world. Real-world history students complete an oral history project on the Great Migration during the fall semester and have the opportunity to intern at one of Washington, D.C.'s many amazing cultural institutions in the spring. For more information and to access the application, check out the link in our show notes. Hooray for Monday is an award-winning weekly publication of Center for Inspired Teaching, an independent nonprofit organization that invests in and supports teachers.
Inspired Teaching provides transformative improvisation-based professional learning for teachers that is 100% engaging intellectually, emotionally, and physically. Our mission is to create radical change in the school experience away from compliance and toward authentic engagement. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.